MSW Media. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by our patrons. Our premium subscribers make the show possible, and in return, they get an ad-free feed, access to my personal show notes, the photos submitted in the good news, VIP meet-and-greet and pre-sale event tickets, invites to our private social media groups, and access to bonus content. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, October 28th, 2022. Today, three Trump lawyers were seen leaving the Prettyman Courthouse in D.C. today, taking part in a sealed hearing in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. A judge will consider unsealing the privilege filings in the 1-6 criminal probe. The Fulton County D.A. files her opposition to Lindsey Graham's appeal to testify. John Eastman has filed a pretty please don't make me turn over more emails motion. The January 6th rioter who dragged Officer Mike Fanone into the crowd has been sentenced to nearly eight years in federal prison. The Department of Justice is seeking to compel Kosh Patel's testimony in the documents case. And the January 6th committee is moving forward with top-level Secret Service interviews. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Well, that was a pretty long intro to, as well. A lot um, of news. A lot of news today, too. Yeah. And some good stories. Yeah. And so, I mean, yesterday was a minute 13. That was our record. We're at 53 seconds today. But it's still quite a bit of news. And later on in the show, I get to talk to Congressman Tennessee's ninth Rep. Steve Cohen about the Inflation Reduction Act and his 14th Amendment legislation, which could make it enforceable. That would be great. It would be great. It would also take away like lifetime earnings and Secret Service coverage and any other taxpayer stuff that goes to a former president who committed insurrection. I think that's a good deal. I, th- I like that. I would support it. It seems fair to me. So we're going to have that discussion. He's just absolutely, he's such a cool guy. I got to hang out with him at the Inflation Reduction Act ceremony. So we're going to talk talk about that too. So anyway, cool show today. And then of course we'll have the good news, but we have a lot to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. There are now several federal criminal investigations into Donald Trump. And I'll kick off with some news in the espionage investigation the one in which he stole classified documents and took them to his weird beach party uh, house down in Mar-a-Lago. First up, former President Trump's legal defense team and prosecutors handling the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation met at the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. Thursday morning in a secret dispute related to the unprecedented investigation. CNN spotted the lawyers, including Jim Trustee, Evan Corcoran and Lindsay Halligan, and prosecutor Julie Edelstein and several others from the Justice Department who are known to be on the case heading into a sealed proceeding before Chief Judge Beryl Howell at the federal courthouse on Thursday. Their appearance in Washington is notable because this legal team typically appears in court in Florida or New York on the documents investigation. But as we know, Chief Judge Beryl Howell heads up the grand jury. The development is the latest sign that prosecutors are attempting to move their investigation forward into the handling of documents from the Trump presidency after he left office Trump's lawyers declined to tell reporters why they were there, though Trump's challenges to the search and seizure of Mar-a-Lago in August have been before judges in Florida. A federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. appears to be handling the criminal investigation into obstruction of justice and the mishandling of records, including national security secrets. Close Trump advisor Kosh Patel, who is designated to work with his records post-presidency, 
previously appeared before that grand jury two weeks ago and took the Fifth Amendment, declining to answer questions. Another sign of prosecutors continuing to build their case. And speaking of Kosh Patel, the Department of Justice wants to question him about whether Donald declassified documents with his mind. Now we know that when the DOJ subpoenaed, we know this, right, that when the DOJ subpoenaed Donald in May, he responded in June on June 3rd. When he did that, he handed over 38 classified documents in a double taped red weld envelope and did not mention anything about having declassified any of them. That's not how you act around declassified documents. You don't double tape them in a red weld envelope. We also know there's video of people moving boxes out of storage after Trump lawyers signed a letter saying they'd handed over all things with classification markings. Why would you need to move declassified documents not pursuant to a subpoena? (laughs) And we also know Biden can reclassify any document because he holds those keys. From Charlie Savage et al. at The New York Times, in the case of the documents, the desire of prosecutors to question Patel about his declassification claims come as they have ratcheted up their pressure in recent weeks. Earlier this month, prosecutors summoned Patel to testify before a grand jury in D.C., where we know he, he pled the fifth. He re- repeatedly pled the fifth. And in response, prosecutors asked a top federal judge in Washington to compel Patel to answer questions and a move that Mr. Patel's lawyers have strenuously opposed. The question now is whether the Justice Department will grant him immunity in order to secure his testimony. Trump first learned that Patel had invoked the Fifth Amendment when The New York Times reported it Monday. That's according to a person briefed on the matter. Even if Trump had declassified the documents at issue, it would not change his exposure to two of the crimes in the Justice Department's affidavit. That's obstruction of justice and 2071, concealing documents. So, from my understanding, Department of Justice was actually arguing to the judge that Patel could not take the fifth because the questions they were asking him would not expose him to criminal indictment. But the judge disagreed and said that he had the right to invoke the fifth. And Andrew Weissman is like, and and Laufman are like, my 21 years of service, I've never seen anybody argue that a defendant didn't have the right to invoke their Fifth Amendment rights or the ability to based on the questions that were asked. So now DOJ is considering immunity for Patel. That could have been what the meeting was about today, but we don't know. And we'll see what's going to happen there. Well, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol is wrapping up its review of more than a million pages of Secret Service documents and plans to bring in top agents and officials from the agency to testify in the coming weeks. And that's from CNN, multiple sources from CNN. The committee has previously said it intends to call back two key witnesses, former Secret Service Assistant Director Tony Ornato, who's in the middle of all the shit, who left the agency to briefly serve as Trump's deputy chief of staff and Trump's lead Secret Service agent on the day of the attack. And that was Robert Engel. Both men have already met with the committee. Well, among the other witnesses under consideration from the sources, say one is Kimberly Cheadle. And Kimberly is the current Secret Service director who served as assistant director of protective operations on January 6th. That's making her the top agent in charge of protecting key government officials that day. We've got Anthony Guglielemi, I think is how you say it. Yeah, that's good good enough. All right. Current chief of communications. And he was appointed in March 2022. He was not with the agency at the time of the Capitol attack, though, but has handled the agency's response to key developments in the committee's investigation including how the Secret Service has responded to testimony from former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson about a heated altercation between Donald and his agents in presidential SUV on January 6th when they said he reached for the wheel. Now, we've got Timothy Geibels, 
and Timothy, the head of the former Vice President Mike Pence's detail, and the last person is a driver of the former President Donald Trump's motorcade on January 6th, whose name has never been publicly disclosed. But obviously, the committee knows who that is and is considering bringing them in. Until recently, Arnado's lawyer, Kate Driscoll, told CNN the committee had not requested additional testimony from her client since his most recent appearance in March. Now, on Thursday, however, Driscoll said, quote, Mr. Arnado continues to cooperate with the committee in its investigation. So they're clearly still talking to this guy. Yeah, I, I bet he's cooperating. Sure. Uh, yeah. And Tim, Tim Giebel's Giebel's, by the way, he's the guy who you remember when Pence, the, the car came up and he's like, Tim, I trust you, but I'm not getting in that car. You're not the driver. Yep. That's Tim. So very interesting. And from Kyle Cheney, a federal judge is considering whether to unseal secret court documents detailing the former guy's effort to prevent former aides from providing testimony to a grand jury in the January 6th criminal investigation. Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the U.S. District Court for District of Columbia on Wednesday asked the Justice Department to weigh in on unsealing requests made by two media organizations, Politico on October 18th and The Times on October 21st. Howell's request comes as Trump has been quietly waging and losing a court battle in recent weeks to prevent former aides <laughs> from testifying to the grand jury. We know Mark Short, former chief of staff to Mike Pence, testified before the grand jury last Thursday, just hours, hours after a federal appeals court panel rejected a last-ditch appeal by Trump, seeking to raise executive privilege concerns about the appearance. Nope. Eh. So Mark Short showed up. And again, Mark Short, he wants to talk, right? After a, a rushed series of filings, three D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals judges, Karen Henderson, Robert Wilkins, and Florence Pan, turned down the emergency stay request at about 7 p.m. on the evening before Short went in to testify. That's according to court docket issuances that Politico reviewed that reflects the closed-door legal battle. Trump's team could have sought relief from the Supreme Court following their rejection, but such an application has yet to be filed. The appeals court panel ruling was a result of a four-month fight that was initiated on June 10th over testimony related to grand jury subpoenas pertaining to the investigation on the attack of the Capitol. That fight began around the same time Mark Short first appeared before federal investigators, but it accelerated rapidly on September 28th when Howell ruled against Trump. The nature of the ruling remained sealed, but it pertained to two grand jury subpoenas that Trump had challenged. June, July, August, September, October, four months. That's how long it took the DOJ to get the tapes in the Nixon case. The identity of the recipients of those subpoenas, though, is not clear, though the timing suggests they were connected to testimony from Short and Greg Jacob. That's Pence's chief counsel. Politico moved to unseal Howell's September 28th ruling and related filings last week. On Wednesday, Howell ordered the Justice Department and Trump's attorneys to respond by November 15th. Okay, so that's just a little over two weeks from now. The New York Times filed a similar unsealing motion Friday. The Post first reported on the appeals court ruling, but the identity of the judges who decided the matter and the precise timeline of the secret battle has not previously been reported. CNN first reported that Jacob, too, was the subject of Howell's September ruling, and Trump is mounting a separate challenge to potential testimony from the two Pats. Patsy Baloney and Pat Philbin. <laughs> Short was at the courthouse for more than three hours on October 13th, but had little to say to reporters as he left. I got nothing to offer you, he said. He just simply didn't respond to subsequent requests for comment either. The rejection of Trump's attempts to block testimony from his former White House aides was just the latest snub handed to him by the federal courts. And just a few hours after Short left court, the SCOTUS, without any noted dissent, rebuffed Trump's efforts 
to involve the justices in a separate criminal investigation into the Mar-a-Lago documents. Remember that defeat followed other high court rebuffs of Trump dating back to the 2020 election, as well as rulings that cleared the way for local prosecutors in New York to obtain his financial records and for House investigators to get White House records relating to January 6th and an en banc ruling from the D.C. appeals court just handed Trump his ass again too, saying, sorry, your, your taxes are going to be turned over to the Ways and Means Committee. So the legal clash around Mark Short's testimony intensified after Howell issued a sealed ruling on September 28th. Howell's ruling dismissed attempts by the former president to postpone the hearings while claims of executive privilege were litigated. And it came just six days after three of Trump's attorneys visited the federal courthouse to plead their case. Their exit from the building following their September 22nd appearance was captured by photographers. And like I said, they were just there today. Different lawyers, but, you know, still Trump. I doubt the court will unseal these maybe until and if charges are brought as the investigation is ongoing. But we'll see. This is Judge Beryl Howell. We'll see how she rules. Thank you so much, A.G. This next story infuriates me, but also it feels like some justice served, which is good. Uh, A January 6th writer who dragged former D.C. police officer and friend of the podcast, Michael Fanone, into the crowd on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. He was sentenced to seven and a half years in federal prison on Thursday. Mm. And um, I'm doing my best. I don't want to make fun of people's names, but it's Albuquerque Head. Mm. I don't know if that was a, a birth given name. I don't know the background of this person, but just being from Albuquerque, I've never seen that before. But And it's going to be hard for me to report the story just using their last name. Now, Albuquerque Head, a 43-year-old from Tennessee, was sent not to Albuquerque. He's yeah. not from Albuquerque. Apparently not. He's from Tennessee, which he's. I. I don't. I don't know the. The. I don't know the background of the name, but he was sentenced to ninety months. Ninety months in federal prison, which is just a bit shy of the ninety-six months that prosecutors had actually requested. But still, it's one of the longest sentences to date in the capital riot cases, and it should have fucking been. Head will get credit for the roughly eighteen months he spent locked up already. Fine. Now, Fanon urged Judge Amy Berman, Amy Berman Jackson, to sentence Head to the maximum, saying that Head had cut his career in law enforcement short. Fanon suffered a heart attack, a traumatic brain injury in the January 6th assault, and ended up resigning from the Metropolitan Police Department. That's what I'm furious about, that this son of a bitch only got seven and a half years for this. I understand it could have been the maximum, but for this, for this crime. you know, Fanon is, is a friend and yeah. he loved being a police officer. He worked undercover and yeah. drugs and vice. And he was just, it, it ended his career that he absolutely loved. That was his life. It was, and, his, it was like his identity. And this is the next line that gets me. This is from Fanon. <laughs> he said about Head, show him the same mercy that he showed me on January 6th, which is none. Head dragged Fanon into the mob on January 6th while yelling, I got one. Before that, he used a police shield to push against a line of police officers in the western-facing tunnel of the U.S. Capitol, a video that went viral very quickly and was horrifying. That was where some of the most violent acts of the insurrection took place. He pleaded guilty to a felony charge of assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers. Now, Judge Jackson called Head's actions, quote, some of the darkest acts committed on one of our nation's darkest days. She pointed out all the opportunities Head had to remove himself from the battle being fought against police, but instead he rearmed with a police shield and went back to the front line. Jackson described former officer Fanon as Head's, quote, prey and his trophy. She also described Fanon as, quote, protecting America during the riot. And he was. 
Whew, I've got a couple more stories for you. Usually that's where we end this uh, A block, but there's so much news today. John Eastman has asked the court to stay the order. This is his pretty please don't make me hand over emails motion. He wants the court to stay the order for him to hand over those emails on, to the 1-6 committee that fall under the crime fraud exception. And here's basically what he says. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, hey, judge, court, high court. I know you saw emails that said I told the president not to sign the Georgia lawsuit with the fake voter fraud numbers in it because they were fake. And that my emails show that the Trump you know, lawsuits were not for legal relief, but just to delay certification of the election. But I'm telling you, the rest of the emails show the exact opposite, <laughs> though I'm not going to show you any of those emails or tell you which ones they are or how they disprove what you decided. But, you know, please don't make me hand these over. That's basically what he wrote the court today. We'll see how. <laughs> Let's watch. I don't, I don't think he's going to get the the uh, response that he he wants. Yeah, I don't think so either. And speaking of the election, Atlanta area prosecutors urged the Supreme Court on Thursday to reject Senator Lindsey Graham's effort to avoid testifying in that investigation of Donald Trump's effort to subvert the 2020 election. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who's doing a hell of a job, told the high court that granting Graham's request to block a subpoena for his testimony would undermine the grand jury's work by either delaying it or forcing it to draw conclusions about the election-related pressure campaign without having the senator's account. I love that line. Basically, like, if he doesn't testify, we're just going to have to draw conclusions based on the other evidence that we have. Now, the grand jury's term is expires of April, in April of 2023. So we still have a little bit of time there, but it sure would be nice to get this wrapped up sooner than later. Yeah, it, it really would. All right. We are going to be talking next to uh, Tennessee 9th's Congressman Steve Cohen. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And I just wanted to take a second to thank our patrons and tell you about a new weekly wrap up bonus episode that I'll be recording. A full bonus episode that comes out on the weekends and it'll be for patrons. I know a lot of people have said, man, I miss my beans on the weekends. Well, now we're going to have a weekly wrap-up episode. And for as little as three bucks a month, patrons get the ad-free premium feed. They get access to the new Weekend Daily Beans weekly wrap-up episode, pre-sale tickets for live shows, invites to meetups and meet and greets with the hosts, access to our private social media groups. You get links to our bi-monthly happy hour Q&A on Zoom, plus a whole host of merch, including stickers, mugs, and t-shirts for signing up. And if you can't afford a membership, we have had over a thousand patrons donate a one-year subscription to those who can't swing it. For just 36 bucks a year, you can donate a premium feed to someone in need. And you can also sign up for that program if you want to get on the list to receive one. Or if you want to donate one, just do that at dailybeanspod.com and look for patrons helping patrons. For more information on becoming a premium subscriber, head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans or search for us on Supercast. And thanks so much to all those who make the show possible. Everybody, welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by the representative of Tennessee's 9th District, Congressman Steve Cohen. Hi, how are you today, Congressman? I'm pretty good, thank you. It's a pretty day in Memphis, and uh, it's nice to be uh, close to this election taking place. I'm not sure if the results are going to be so nice, but we hope they will. Yeah, I think we're going to probably, you know, I mean, they underestimated us in 2018 and 2020, and I hope they're underestimating us again. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And speaking of some of the incredible work that the administration has been able to do with Congress, you and I met in person at the celebration of the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. 
and uh, we sat in the shade. It was <laughs> it was a little sunny that day. And I remember we were talking a little bit about some of the provisions in the act. And, you know, I was just at the White House getting some policy briefings on some of the amazing things that are coming to fruition because of the Inflation Reduction Act. Can you talk a little bit about what you consider some of the more important provisions of the act? Well, the main thing that the that the act did was uh, climate change. And that's really, you know, that's that's the earth. Most countries are not doing their job and trying to reduce their emissions. So the, I was reading a story, I think it was today's New York Times, about the nations of the world. It's like 78% of them are not getting anywhere near their goals. And a lot of them, it's their, 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 their people are dealing with governments with survival. They have to deal with day-to-day issues of feeding folks and, and surviving. So it's difficult. And I just was imagining a world after I'm gone, and uh, it'll be hot as hell. Mm-hmm. Not where I am, but on Earth. And uh, it's going to be... Uh, too late. I don't know what's going to happen. People are going to have miserable lives, physical conditions. There'll be droughts. There'll be wars because of droughts. There'll be deaths because of droughts. A lot of this will be in Africa and maybe even in in, in South America or Central America, but we're going to see some awful things take place and we're not dealing with it. So this was the biggest effort America's ever made legislatively towards trying to do something about climate change. That was was what it was about. There were some uh, healthcare issues and the Democrats have done a good job on addressing health care, trying to limit the costs of what be charged for drugs, prescription drugs. This is all going to happen in the future, but it's set for a limit on $2,000, I think, for the most you can have be charged for drugs under here on, on, on Medicare. That uh, insulin will be $35 a shot. That'll be great relief for a lot of people who suffer from, from diabetes. So Democrats have done a lot with uh, extending the American Care Act, making it more available, extending monies to states that haven't, uh, like mine, that have not extended Medicaid to take into consideration the benefits of the American Care Act. But uh, we haven't done it. We're not going to do it. We've got a red state Republican governor. He claims in his ads he's done a lot for women with expanding 10 care, which is our version of Medicaid. But when you got a billion dollars you left on the table for five, six, seven years now, the federal government, you haven't done anything for women on health care, but they lie. And that's where it is. So the bill was good on health, on climate change and good on health care. Not sure how much it's really going to do on inflation reduction, but it did tax corporations. That was good. And they get some more money out of the folks who've got the money. And they're the ones that are really causing the inflation. They've made more and more money, a lot of these corporations, and they have greedily gotten more and more. And uh, their profits are the largest they've been forever. That's who's driven up the costs. And the prices. Yeah. And I think that some of the savings that we will see in in our uh, Medicare uh, prescription drug prices and in energy, I think, will will have a a wonderful impact on American families. And I'm so impressed by some of the details, the granular details in this climate part of the bill, like, for example, requiring that steel used to build offshore wind turbines come from the United States made by unions. And when we make it here in the United States, it is, you know, 10 times greener and cleaner than when the stuff that we would that we were buying from China to produce these windmills. So I think those all of those details sort of get lost in the in the bigger talking points. But I, they're so important. I know that you and I were talking about some of these great partnerships with Sparks and, and the union shops and, and making sure that these that these kinds of things get made with American steel. I think that that's something that, that sometimes gets lost. Well, it's better steel for sure, but it also keeps the money in America. And it helps our American workers who are getting 
undercut by cheap labor costs in Asia on so many things. The Chinese do it. It's a communist country. They subsidize a lot. They don't give their people much. They charge they, so they get cheap labor. They have no choice in the matter. But we need to su- support our American labor, uh, laborers and, and, and the labor groups that they're members of who've helped labor people forever. They're the ones to stop abusing children in, 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 in the workplace, got the minimum wage established and, and try to increase it and do a good job with that and get all kinds of benefits for working people. Working people have been on short change forever. Yeah, absolutely. There's something else. I want to take a kind of a turn here and talk about some legislation that you introduced in 2021 regarding Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And listeners of this program are very aware we've had lawyers come on, like the lawyers who were suing in uh, to keep Madison Cawthorn off the off the ballot and to keep Marjorie Taylor Greene off the ballot. So the listeners are very, very educated about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And you wrote some legislation because kind of like how we don't have legislation for, you know, pairing out the constitutionality of congressional inherent contempt, for example, we need legislation to to dictate how we practically apply the third section of the 14th Amendment. Can you talk a little bit about your legislation and, and where it's at? Well, the constitutional amendment was one of the Civil War amendments, and it was to get at the uh, Confederates who had opposed the nation, part of the rebellion against the United States of America. And uh, it was to make sure these people couldn't serve in office again because they had violated those who were in office before, not just any soldier or any Confederate, but those who had taken an oath to support the United States Constitution and violated that oath by being part of an insurrectionist, revolutionary civil war. And it was put in effect, but it needs to be implemented. And, And to be honest, the leadership in the House has avoided I mean, I've been pushing to get the, the proposal we've got. There are competing proposals. There are issues on whether you should give state attorney generals the power to do this, as they did in New Mexico, whether the, the venue should have to be in, in Washington's district court, which makes uh, little sense to situations that are maybe out in New Mexico or Nevada or Washington, Alaska, wherever, and uh, and how that will work. And so there are, you know, the need to, to implement it. It's not just self-implementing. And there are different versions. I think what's going to happen is that the leadership uh, is Speaker Pelosi is gearing everything almost that happens related to January 6th to the January 6th committee, where she has most of her lieutenants. And uh, so Lofgren is a learned and experienced legislator. And Jamie Raskin is a law professor and very bright, et cetera. And uh, there are others on there that are her, her, her team. So I'm sure it'll come out of there. It disappoints me a bit because I've had the bill forever. And it's a good bill. And uh, we ought to deal with it in my committee, which is Constitution and uh, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. And my cat likes to get in the picture. So I'd like to do it, but I suspect it's going to go through the, the, the January 6th. And that makes sense. We have to ask what the cat's name is, Congressman. Little Black Kitty. Little Black Kitty. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Everyone, now we know Congressman Cohen has a pod pet. That's fantastic. Uh, back to the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, talking about, uh, I think your provision wants to go through the attorney general and maybe do this on a more federal level. How does that legally square with the uh, the constitutional provision that states handle their own elections? Is, is there sort of a, some sort of a squaring that uh, circle? I don't know if that's an issue or not. I mean, there's a lot of these folks who want the states to do everything because the states are where you had civil rights violations and never... The states have not been the, the, the product of, of change in America. It's been the courts and it's been the Congress, mostly the courts. But uh, 
the, the states aren't going to come up with anything, especially the red states. They like insurrections. They revere them, and they many of them on the ballot, and many of them are getting elected. And you're not going to get anything in, in the South or in the Southwest or in some of these Midwestern states. It's not Midwestern so much. It's some Midwestern, but it's more out there in kind of the Idaho country. And uh, the, those folks that live, in, live with the sheep up there in the mountains, and uh, they're not going to do much. So, you know, I, I just don't see giving to the states. I think it should be a federal issue. It should be There has to be some uniformity and some logic to it, which will go through the attorney general, could go through U.S. attorneys as well, have to be all done in, in D.C. But if people have violated their oath to the Constitution, there needs to be penalties. And that's what the 14th Amendment's about. And these people on January 6th who invaded our Capitol and fought hand and, and, and glove and used flags and all kind of instruments to attack police, try to gain entry, and then did damage where they they are no different than the Confederates. Now, many of them did not have an oath, so they're being dealt with by January 6th, but some of them did take an oath. They were political office holders, and, and they should be uh, questioned. And some of the members of Congress should fall under that, too, who didn't vote to approve the, the uh, delegates from Pennsylvania and Arizona. Uh, some of them talked a good game about the, the, the laws. It's supposed to be the state legislatures and up to the states and all that stuff. Horse manure. It was part of an insurrection. And they and what some of them middled it. They thought they acted like they were some Benjamin Cardoza. And they analyzed the two states. One was different than this one, and they went with this one, but they didn't go with this one. They were middling it. They were cowards. The fact is, every person that came up there as a member of the Electoral College should have been approved. It should have been a perfunctory uh, act. And uh, that was an attempt to subvert the Constitution and put Donald Trump in office. Yeah. And it seems like a federal issue to me as well, because this is less about telling states how to run elections and more about enforcing reconstruction amendments and oaths to office, which is which I think would land squarely on in the attorney general's office. Right. Even the states talk about wanting to run the constant elections, running the elections is one thing. But but but, you know, violating your oath, to the Constitution is another. And that's something that's a federal issue squarely. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And one last thing before I let you go, Congressman, the bill also amends the former President's Act. Can you talk about that? Well, I, I think that uh, the exception of Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton uh, and George Bush, uh, we shouldn't have any former presidents. Mm -hmm. And so what this bill would do <laughs> would, would, would actually take that title away, correct? Well, I'm, it, would, it, would, it would do that. And they, 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 they get a lot of benefits that they don't deserve anymore, especially Trump. I mean, he, he's, he's basically violated his oath. And uh, he was part of the led the insurrection. He's violated the oath of office that he took. He, he's violated everything he's ever had. The, the marriage vows. Um, I imagine he had some trust duty as, as, a, as a realtor. There's nothing he hasn't violated, nothing because everything's about him. But the fact that he gets Secret Service protection is absurd. He can afford it and he takes them. And he only, the only reason he's going to keep it is because he wants to charge him for hotel space. And it's just it's it's a money making venture for him. Everything for him is a money making venture. Yeah. He is a grifter and a crook and a liar and a cheat and a disnoble individual who should be put in one of Elon Musk's rockets without a return ticket. <laughs> I think we'd all be down for that. That could you put that in the bill? Because that would be great. We should have. Uh, but no, I, I think that a lot of people would be glad to hear that it, it would take away Secret Service protection benefits. But what about the like the salary for life, that kind of thing? If you're if you're found guilty, if he's violated the Constitution and violated his oath, he ought to have a salary. He doesn't need a salary anyway. But 
but he shouldn't get anything. He shouldn't get anything for life. But what do you know he should get? Life. <laughs> Nothing for life, just life. Without parole. Without parole. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Again, it was great seeing you at the Inflation Reduction Act celebration ceremony. It's been great talking to you today. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Tennessee's 9th District Representative Congressman Steve Cohen. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from, from How, How We, we win. win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We, we organize. organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. Okay. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This, this is how we win. Hi, I'm Moji Alawodeal from the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod, the only podcast that helps you navigate the news in this post-pro anti-abortion hellscape. Each week with co-hosts Marie Khan and Liz Winstead, we dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with providers and activists working on the ground. The cherry on top is we have amazing comedy guests who help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills Live drops Fridays wherever you pod. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, photos of your pets in costume, any costume doesn't have to be Halloween, but you know, I mean, it is almost Halloween. So we would love to see those and uh whoopee stories, a shout out to somebody in your life that you really love. Send it all to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Also, not that I need to remind this group, but make sure you're registered to vote. Send links to your family on how to make sure they're registered to vote. Ask your family and friends what their voting plan is. Just have a chat. Just reach out and have a chat. It's uh, it's really well worth it. First up from Jillian, pronoun she and her. Babies? Dana has asked for babies? Yes. I would hate to disappoint. In September, my son and his partner, both 18, both trans, came home with an adolescent gray Maine Coon stray. 
prefer clung to the odor of stale skunks. Jesus. What am I talking about? We call her disco. Dude, skunk stays forever. She was very patient with us while we bathed her. It was during the bath we deduced that she might be pregnant. Her nipples were quite enlarged. Two and a half weeks ago, Disco gave birth to two kittens named Grim and Casper. Grim is a dark gray tabby and Casper is soft gray. Casper has been growing by the minute. Both kittens were close to 200 grams at birth. Casper is now 540 grams. Yes, he's already over a pound. Little Grim kept pace with his brother for the first few days until Casper started hogging all the seats at the milk bar. We have had Disco's belly shave to help Grim locate his favorite nipple. And we've been giving him solo feeding sessions with his mama. He having decided uh, preference to cat milk over kitten formula, he is now a respectable 340 grams. I've attached pictures of them as my pet tax. Thank you for all you are doing to protect democracy. I'll be watching the midterms from the northern sidelines, hoping that Allison's seat predictions come true. Ah, yes, I said we'll gain three in the House. No, two in the House and three in the Senate. Um, look I at sure the hell hope you're right. My goodness. Look at the baby. So sweet. All right. This next one's from Kirsten in PA's first district. She, her. Hi, this is just a follow-up. Wonderful Leguminati. Our dog, Honey, has started wearing her bee costume, mostly to get her used to the hat. And <laughs> we, we know you were interested in seeing it. Picture her in clothes. As yes. for us here in Pennsylvania's first congressional district, we can continue to do our best to ensure that voters understand that the supposedly moderate, he's not, GOP rep Fitzpatrick is an anti-choice extremist, a man paid by his campaign who was caught on video in April stealing Fitz's primary opponent's signs, was caught again stealing the invisible signage that reads, quote, Brian, sorry, the indivisible. That's much better because it's hard to steal invisible signage. The indivisible. (laughs) I'm like, these guys are impressive. Now, the indivisible, (laughs) the indivisible signage that reads, quote, Brian Fitzpatrick is anti-choice. As well as signs from other groups have put out pointing out Fitz's unpopular views on abortion. He seems to be targeting those messages in particular. So I guess the GOP knows that this is a real threat. We'll see if anything comes of this repeated malfeasance. A police report has been filed and the evidence provided to them. Now, folks here are working our butts off, knocking doors, chasing ballots, and doing everything we can to flip this district from red to blue, while also supporting Fetterman for Senate and Shapiro for governor and other state candidates. And I want to send out a thank you to the folks with Swing Left who have been coming up to PA's first district to help out. They rock. They do. And I, I feel like we have a lot of listeners in, in Pennsylvania's first. I've, <laughs> we get so many emails um, from, from the first. So this is awesome. And then here, the bee. Dude. So cute. Adorable. Absolutely adorable. I love this doggo. Me too. I'm glad we got photos. <laughs> I know. I'm glad you asked for them. Next up from Sherry, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. Been listening to you since the kitchen table days. Yay. And I drove people crazy with my strange knowledge of the Russians and the Mueller report. <laughs> my good news. Sherry, I know how you feel. I, I, I'd i be sitting, Dana, I'd be sitting at like a karaoke bar with my friends and <laughs> Like Roger Stone would pop up on the screen and I'm like, I fucking hate that guy. And everyone's like, I don't even know who that guy is. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't know who Roger Stone is. And I was like, all right. Oh, well. good Lord. Yeah, we're a, we're an interesting group, the Leguminati. We, we have a lot of weird knowledge, like how Leonardo DiCaprio and the founding member of the Fugees were caught up in the 1MDB Malaysian money laundering scheme with Jolo. Like just weird stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sherry says, my good news, I achieved my goal of registering 100 North Texans to vote. She said, Dana, you just want us to bring one person. Yes. 100. Hell yes. I set the goal a year ago and I went out most weekends to every place I could find that had any type of crowd. I took Stacey Abrams advice when I got to meet her where she said she registered people anywhere she could. I've written 260 letters for Beto and I'll do a minimum of five block walks, leaving nothing on the table. For my pet tax, I've attached a picture of my tri-paw quarantine kitty, Bucky. The first picture is why I fell in love with him. The second. Oh my God. Is him living his best life. This doesn't look real. Like that first picture looks like, you know, one of those cartoon things that you would see with the big eyes and the please save me. I know. Like the puss in boots. Oh my God. And look, I love this tripod. Oh my God. Oh, what a very handsome boy. Oh, how cute. Amazing, amazing, amazing. The plate on. The, the first picture, if you're not a patron, is, is, a, is a baby kitten with the most cute, the cutest eyes. Like, hello, please help me. Yeah. And and a paper plate around his uh, neck, probably to stop him from, I don't know, chewing on stuff. Instead of the cone of shame. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. This next one's from Hita Ray, pronouns she and her. Thank you, Beans, Queens, and Andrew for making it so much easier to do my voting this year. I love vote by mail because I have time to look up the candidates. But the hardest for me is the list of whether to retain court judges, as usually there is very limited information about them available. Now, each year I scrounge far into it, but it's frustrating. Then, bam, this year, when I looked up, Ann Timmer of For Justice of the Arizona Supreme Court, she showed up as a contributor on the Federalist Society website. Thanks to you all, I know to vote against Federalist Society weirdos, and it feels like I've now got a great new tool to use in trying to get info on these judges by looking at the Federalist Society website. So smart. Figured I'd share in case it helps others too. Love to the beans. It does help others. In fact, AG may have just written it down, and I'm going to do the same. For tax... (laughs) Of her tax, I present Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her jester costume last year. She did not appreciate the hat, but seemed to like the extra jingles on the collar and let me know that she did not appreciate me trying to take it off her after the photo shoot. Oh, well, that's very, that's interesting. Usually they can't wait to get out of those costumes. Yeah. I, I would I would say that's an excellent idea, but also be, be careful of, uh, about the Federalist Society website. When you... Don't if somebody's on it, don't just assume they're in the Federalist Society. Kagan has a, a, a profile on the Federalist Society website. Sotomayor, a Breyer. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, judges who do panels for the Federalist Society who are not federal, Federalist Society weirdos. So just make sure to oh, read. thank you for that. Read the bio. Don't just assume that because they're on the Federalist Society website that they are an FSW. Um, but excellent, uh, excellent place to get information. And uh, this kitty is so adorable. So, so sweet. We've seen Ruth Bader Ginsburg before. I yes. Think. Yes, we've seen her before. Next up, Pam pronounced she and her. I have some oh good news my God. <laughs> the picture. <laughs> There's the picture again. I forgot I'd already seen it. Keep going. <laughs> oh, I have oh some my good God. news. I previously sent information on a new foster dog. We were fostering. We took a little Chihuahua dolly in on September 19th, and I'm happy to say she's found her forever home on the Oregon coast. She has a new fur brother pug named Mowgli. He is so excited to have a new sister. He could not stop cooing over her. Her new person brought them new Halloween outfits for their trip back home. Thank you for sharing 
this wonderful news. Look at uh, Oh, they're so sweet. Which better better have my candy. That's a great shirt on Mowgli. That's funny. And then look at that sweater, which is so pumpkin. good. And thank you for leaving this last one to me. Okay, you, if you're not a patron, somehow we've got to get this picture up for everybody. This is from Heidi, pronouns she and her. You two are the best. Daily Beans is part of my morning routine. My day is not complete without it. I wanted to send in a photo of our guinea pig Spike in his all his uh, Halloween glory. He's a sweet, chunky, fuzzy potato, and we love him. And he's dressed like a fucking taco, you guys. It's 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 a guinea pig in a taco. It's a guinea pig in a taco. I don't even understand how you got this guinea pig in this taco costume or who made the taco costume because it's clearly tiny. <laughs> it's just so good. Amazing. And I love that's a great name for a for a pig, by the way. Spike. Oh my god, right? I just realized you could basically put your guinea pig in a blanket and it would be it would be a guinea pig in a blanket for Halloween. And I don't know why that made me giggle so much just now, but it did. Uh, guinea pig in a blanket. Thank you for all of these photos. Please keep sending them in along with your stories, Whoopi stories, shout out to people that you love, your heroes in your own life. You can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Thanks to Congressman Cohen for talking with me today. Absolutely just a wonderful human being. And uh, Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the weekend? Oh, I do. I'm very excited this weekend. I'm not going to be with you on Monday morning, meaning we won't record on Sunday. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. at the National Dinner for the Human Rights Campaign, and we're going to be honoring uh, two of the leads from League of Their Own, Abby, and, um, and one of the other amazing actresses and uh, a few other um, c- celebs, if you will. But what I'm almost now most excited about is Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi will be speaking. So <gasps> they will be at the event if for some reason you are going to the Human Rights Campaign Gala in Washington, D.C. this weekend and you have not heard that news. It has been announced and it should be an incredible time. I'm very much looking forward to raising Hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars this weekend so the human rights campaign can continue their fight before the midterms because we've got a big push coming up the last week and a half. Amazing. Dude, that's going to be so incredible. Yeah, it'll be good. I hope you have a wonderful time. And uh, yeah, we just keep missing each other every time we travel. I know. You should just stop. <laughs> you should start leaving post-its around D.C. and be like, go, go to go to um, <laughs> DuPont Circle. Now go to the restaurant and go to the left side of the building. There's a post-it note for you. <laughs> Just send you on a a goose chase to DC until you end up at off the record with a glass of Prosecco. Oh my God. So good. Um, Incredible. Uh, I'm so, so proud of you, my friend. The activist work that you do for the human rights campaign is just absolutely invaluable. So thank Thank you you so much. I'm grateful for their work as well. And I'll see everybody Monday morning and Dana, you and I will be back Tuesday. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take a hundred people with you. <laughs> I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W-Media. <laughs>